0: Well, um, when I lived in Florida, I would go surfing with a friend of mine. He's a great surfer, and me, not so much. Uh, When surfing, his goal is to catch a great wave. Mine is just to not get eaten by a shark. And one day, as we sat on our surfboards uh, floating in the Atlantic Ocean, we started talking about the waves that were rolling in. We wondered out loud if they were good waves or bad waves. I was usually wrong, and it was always so frustrating. We were looking at the same water, but he saw something that I didn't see, and that's because time after time, he grabbed a surfboard and his wetsuit and got in the water. It made him a competent surfer. The great competency, great expertise always includes the gift of perception, to see what other people don't see, even though we're looking at the same thing. And this is how it was with Jesus. You could say Jesus was the master at human relationships. It's why he was so good at reaching the lost and the broken and the marginalized in his world. When Jesus looked at someone, he saw something different. He didn't see a tax collector or a leper or a prostitute. I just lost my mic. That's weird. It says I got a... Oh, there we go. We're back. So Jesus didn't see a leper or a prostitute or a tax collector. He saw a a child of God, the image of God, the Imago Dei. And just like my friend who became a competent surfer by getting in the water and surfing, Jesus is calling us to be competent disciples by getting in the community and serving. We're on a mission in our everyday lives, and when we do that, we put on the eyes of Jesus, and we see what Jesus sees, and we're going to explore what that can look like for you and for me. Now, oddly enough, Jesus says something that seemingly contradicts what I just said. On the surface, they aren't warm and compassionate words, but when you look much deeper, they reveal a lot about our human tendencies and what we should do about it. And Jesus is giving us some instruction on how to view and interact with our neighbors. Jesus says, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them underfoot and turn and maul you. So in this passage, we see some people are dogs and swine. Some people are evil. And these evil dogs, these piggy people, can't appreciate what is sacred and holy. It's like they have some kind of a spiritual dysfunction. Now you, on the other hand, you have pearls. These beautiful pearls of wisdom, pearls of truth, pearls of deeds, pearls that can help people if they would only receive them. But they're just kind of spiritual slackers, kind of like people of other religions or atheists. So you shouldn't waste your time on those people. They are not worthy. That's what Jesus is saying, right? This passage actually comes from the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. But this teaching doesn't seem real Jesus-y, does it? This business about pearls and pigs is one of the most mysterious sayings of Jesus. And it's one that most people don't know what to do with. Now, here's the problem with the some people are unworthy swine who you should not help interpretation. According to the Bible, quite often, who is in the sinful, wicked, fallen, broken, we all like sheep have gone astray, messed up people category? Well, that would be everyone, starting with you and me. Now, if Jesus is the great treasure, the pearl of heaven, then he should have never gotten involved with us because we all are in the messed up people category. Yet Jesus actually said it was specifically for the messed up, sinful, wicked people that he came. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus didn't say that we shouldn't do good things for people who might reject or misuse them. He in fact taught precisely the opposite. He says, "Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven." He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. Now we need to be crystal clear. Jesus is not saying that certain classes of people are to be viewed as dogs or pigs that are unworthy of our great pearls. Nobody has ever taught or modeled the worth and dignity of every human being and the universal command to love all people with the depth and urgency of Jesus Christ. You see, the problem with giving a pearl to a pig is not that the pig is not worthy The problem is, giving a pearl to a pig is not a helpful thing. Jesus is actually getting to a much deeper problem in human relationships with wisdom that helps us interact with the world around us. Sometimes the pearl that you have is so wonderful, you want to give it to someone to help them. However, that person will not want it because they don't view your pearl as helpful. In that case, you shouldn't try to force it on anybody. So, a pearl does not nourish a pig. And nourishment is what a pig is looking for. What will help a pig is food. If you put a bunch of slop in a trough, you'll have a healthy pig, a happy pig. If you keep putting pearls in the trough, you will not have a happy pig. You will have a resentful pig. And that could cause you to think, you ungrateful pig, look at all the pearls you've been given. This is not helpful. Eventually, the pigs will turn and bite you. Why? Well, because he's hungry, and you at least are edible. It's the same with the dog. Amber and I, we, we have our dog hope, and we love our dog. But if we gave her what is sacred, maybe a Bible, Maybe one of those Christian bumper stickers. Maybe a WWJD bracelet. Hope would do the only thing she knows how to do with something. let try to eat it. So do not give what is sacred to a dog. Because a dog, not because the dog is unworthy, but because it won't help the dog. And this is a common mistake in mission trips. And We go to a faraway city, maybe even another country, And we see brokenness and homelessness and a host of other issues. And we carry around this posture of, I'm the Savior, the one with all the resources, all the answers. And we assume we have the magic bullet to all of life's problems. If they would only have the common sense to receive it. And then when they don't, we make all sorts of critical judgments. Well, he's lazy and she's stubborn he's a reject we believe our efforts are wasted on people who don't appreciate them or don't know what to do with them now here's something important for all of us to understand when studying scripture you always have to keep in mind the larger context okay so cherry picking a a word or a phrase well that's that's how you uh, you get to mistakes that's how mistakes happen and you misinterpret God's word so in Matthew 7, Jesus is talking about the wrong ways of viewing people, to which religious folks are particularly prone. He says, do not throw your pearls at pigs. So Jesus is forbidding our tendency to impose our ways, our values on people. And this is when you're trying to shove your pearls, maybe it's your wisdom or your will or your deeds down someone's throat, even when they don't want it even when it's not being helpful. The Apostle Paul says, let us therefore stop turning critical eyes on one another. That's what religious people tend to do. We take it upon ourselves to correct everybody else because we only notice when other people are wrong. Somebody said, there are only two kinds of drivers in the world. Maybe you've noticed this. There are the idiots who drive faster than I do, And then the morons who drive slower than I do. Look at that idiot going so fast. He's going to kill someone. You moron, get out of my way. If you look for flaws, you will find flaws. If you look for faults, you will be successful. Imposing your will on someone carries kind of this tone of superiority. You'll go through life wondering, why don't people seem to want to be around me? Providing unsolicited help can be a lonely way to live. So the teaching here is, if the pig isn't ready for your pearl, don't be pushy. Part of love isn't just knowing what to say. It's knowing when to say it. And maybe more importantly, knowing when not to say it. While preparing for this message, I thought about my friend, Conrad Thomas, and I've got a picture of him up here on the screen. Conrad is a pastor in Jamaica, and I met him in 2009 when leading a team of missionaries to his community of Malden, a quaint little mountain village with tons of potential. But that wasn't the case when Conrad was appointed to Malden Baptist Church several years earlier. In one of our conversations, Pastor Conrad told me that during his first few months in Malden, He felt like God was punishing him. You see, when Conrad arrived, Malden was a depressed community. They didn't have a clear leader already in place. No one who knew how to cast a preferred vision for the future. And no one to connect people with each other. There was poverty and unemployment and crime. And in a very real way, There was a deep sense of hopelessness. Perhaps when Conrad visited with people in the community and offered his advice on finding a job and escaping their dire circumstances, he felt like he was throwing his pearls before swine. Conrad wondered, why would God send me to a place that doesn't want my help? Why would God waste my prime years, the best of what I have to offer in a village like this? So, Conrad talked to God about it. He prayed. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And then he listened to God's still small voice. And then he heard God tell him to listen some more. But this time, he was to listen to the people entrusted into his care. And so he did. Conrad met with the people in his community and listened to what they had to say. And they were longing for an opportunity. They were longing for hope. He saw people who, deep down, were ready for a vibrant life full of joy and love. While on mission in his everyday life, Conrad had put on the eyes of Jesus when he finally came face-to-face with, his, with the needs in the community, God gave Conrad a vision for the future. Behind his parsonage was an old, run-down building that used to be a thriving banana chip manufacturing plant. You see, bananas were a chief export of Jamaica before companies like Chiquita and Del Monte had crippled their economy. And this old building was an eyesore. And it was a message to the people of Malden that their best years were behind them. But Pastor Conrad saw it as an opportunity. During our first mission trip in Jamaica, Conrad said his vision was to create a healthy economy by transforming that old building into a woodworking shop and a computer center. So he asked us to sand and paint the outside of the building. And so I got a picture of it here. That was us kind of halfway through the project, you can see the unpainted parts that were pretty nasty looking, but we started painting it that red color and the kind of the yellow color there. And before too long, um, we had uh, we finished the the project, and so I've got another picture here. That's what it looked like when we were all done. Huge improvement. And then eventually, half that building became a woodworking shop where the community could build furniture and sell it for income. I've got a picture here of the inside of the woodworking shop. There, as you can see, a bunch of the saws and some of the wood. But this is where the story gets crazy, okay? My friend Joel and I flew down to Jamaica to meet with Conrad about the other half of his vision. Conrad told us it would take a little over 7000 American dollars to renovate and secure the part of the building that it would eventually become the computer center. He said, once the building was complete, there was a company that was willing to provide 20 brand new computers so people in the community could develop 21st century skills. It was an amazing opportunity, but I had no idea where we were going to get $7,000. And months later, Conrad called me one morning and asked if I thought we could get the money. In a moment of either Holy Spirit-empowered faith or sheer stupidity, I said yes, and then immediately after hanging up the phone, I felt like I was going to vomit. I mean, what in the world was I thinking? I didn't talk to our senior pastors. I didn't share this with the youth pastor. I just said yes. So I huddled with Joel, and we devised a plan. I drew out an outline of the country of Jamaica on a thin sheet of plywood, and I painted the Jamaica flag with the green and the black and the yellow on it. And then I cut it in half, and then I hammered 100 little nails on each side, 200 nails in total, and hung a price tag on each nail. The price tag had 35, uh, had $35 on it, and our idea was to invite the congregation to buy a price tag for $35. So on one Sunday, I went before all four services at our church and said, buy a price tag, and instead of going out to dinner sometime this week, stay at home and raise your glasses for a brighter future in Jamaica. And the idea worked. We sold, we sold all 200 tags at $35 each. And if you're good at math, you know that comes out to $7,000. And I still have one of those price tags. I keep it in my Bible to remember that moment. Well, we wired the money to the church in Jamaica And they remodeled the building. The 20 computers were delivered, but here's the best part. There was a software company in Montego Bay that learned about the new computer center. And they approached Pastor Conrad and told him they'd like to install their software on these new computers. And then train the community on how to use it. And in turn, the software company would guarantee 200 new jobs. There was hope again in Malden. It started when God told Conrad to listen. And then Conrad obeyed. And then he asked a church in Florida to help fill the hole in our gospel. And those followers of Jesus responded with generosity. I have two more pictures to show you. Uh, The first is the inside of the building before construction began. And so we visited there and we prayed over that building uh, you can see on the left, there, it's black. That's because a fire had broken out, partially ruined the building. And so we, uh, one of our trips there, we prayed over the building that, uh, that God would transform it. And then the second picture is uh, the remodeled building. And you can see they had painted the, uh, the walls yellow, and they put in carpeting on the floors. And they had 20 brand new computers with all the hardware to go along with it, and desks and chairs, And at this point, I want to say, there are some of you who aren't going to be able to help out with Butler Mission Week because of jobs or some other commitments, and I understand. That's okay. But I also want to say that if you can't serve during BMW, consider an act of financial generosity. It's amazing what God can do with a $35 check. I saw it happen. It can be multiplied like fish and loaves. And give way to something life-changing. And then something community-changing. Amber and I believe that God is actively calling Hope Covenant Church to fill the hole in our gospel. Over the past several weeks, we've talked about what it can look like for us, starting today. Continuing through Butler Mission Week and then beyond. If Hope Covenant is going to fill the hole in our gospel, the hole in our church... We have to begin by listening to people and looking at people, people who are sick, people who are broken, not with a critical eye, but seeing them the way that Jesus sees them, as people worthy of God's redemptive power. I want to end our time today with one more story about What can happen when you stop looking with a critical eye and when you stop trying to force your wonderful pearls on other people? It's a fictional story. It's written long ago, and I'm going to share it with you, and then I'm going to tell you the story that's behind the story. It's a story about a fifth-grade teacher named Mrs. Thompson and a fifth-grade boy that she did not like. His name was Teddy Stallard. Teddy did not play well with other children, and his clothes were kind of a mess. He was just unpleasant to be around, and disruptive and uncooperative. It got to the point where she took delight in putting a lot of red ink on his papers so we knew he wasn't doing well. That kind of made her feel good. It wasn't until halfway through the year when she was reviewing his files that she learned about his story. As you see, everybody has a story. Teddy's first grade teacher wrote, Teddy's a bright child with a ready laugh. He is a joy to be around. His second grade teacher wrote, Teddy's an excellent student, well-liked by his classmates, but he is troubled because his mother is very ill. Life at home must be a struggle. His third grade teacher wrote, Teddy's mother's death has been hard on him. He tries to do his best, but his father doesn't show much interest. Teddy's fourth grade teacher wrote, Teddy is withdrawn and doesn't show much much interest in school. By now, Mrs. Thompson realized the problem, and she was ashamed of herself. She felt even worse when her students brought Christmas presents wrapped in beautiful ribbons and bright, shiny paper, except for Teddy's. Teddy brought her a present, but it was quite clumsily wrapped in heavy brown paper that he got from ripping up an old grocery bag. Mrs. Thompson was quite careful to open it in the middle of the other presents. Some of the children started to laugh when she found an old rhinestone bracelet with some stones missing and a bottle that was about one quarter full of some cheap perfume. She stifled the children's laughter when she exclaimed how pretty the bracelet was, putting it on and then dabbing some of the perfume on her wrists. Teddy stayed stayed stay after school that day just long enough to say, Mrs. Thompson, today you smelled just like my mom used to. And that bracelet looked really pretty on your wrist. After the children left, she cried for half an hour. On that very day, she quit teaching, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And she began teaching students. Mrs. Thompson paid particular attention to Teddy. As she worked with him, As she saw something good in him, his mind seemed to come alive. The more she encouraged him, the more she believed in him, the faster he responded. By the end of the year, Teddy had become one of the smartest children in that class. Six years later, she got a note from Teddy. He then wrote that he had finished high school second in his class. Four years after that, she got another letter saying that while things had been tough at times, he would soon graduate from college with highest honors. Then four more years passed, and eventually another letter came. This time, the letter was signed, Theodore F. Stallard, M.D. He told her he had met a girl, and he told her he was getting married. He asked her if she would come and sit in the place of the mother of the groom. She did She wore that old bracelet and she wore the perfume he gave her. When he thanked her for being the best teacher he ever had, she told him that he had it all wrong. He was the one who taught her. That story was written by a woman named Elizabeth Ballard. She said it was triggered by two real-life events. Once was a time when she'd been teaching Sunday school because she's a follower of Jesus, the same Jesus who said, don't cast your pearls before swine. She was teaching, and a grubby little boy had given her a rhinestone bracelet and a bottle of cheap perfume. That moment reminded her of when she was a little girl, and she grew up in a family that was very poor, She had no money, so she brought her teacher a gift of pecans from a tree in their yard. All the other students started to laugh. Her teacher stopped them. Her teacher saved her by saying that she was going to make a fruitcake, and this was just what she needed. Now, of course, she wasn't really going to make a fruitcake because nobody intentionally makes a fruitcake. I mean, fruitcakes just happen kind of like accidents and earthquakes. (laughs) I think the reason why the story has touched so many people is we forget that every day we choose the eyes we use to see people. Eyes of criticism, or eyes of love. I don't think it's our job to go around correcting people, fixing people, giving advice to folks who aren't asking for it, and then describing all that is wrong with the world and what the problem is with this group and that group, and why don't these people just behave like we think they should? I kind of think, gang, it's time for followers of Jesus to just come alongside people and offer hope and healing and some humility and servanthood and generosity. I kind of think that's how Jesus created the most inclusive, inviting movement in the history of humanity. Now, in Jesus, no more divisions. No more dividing wall. You know, that thing has been torn down. No more separating Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. Next Sunday begins Butler Mission Week. And there's a good chance we'll encounter poverty and homelessness and premature pregnancy and substance abuse and evidence of a laundry list of other really bad decisions. And the worst thing that we could do as the church, as followers of Jesus, is to greet those people with a critical eye. Our role is to see the kinds of things God sees, when he looks at us. But we can't do it on our own. We need help. So as you go from one encounter to another, ask God this question. God, would you help me to see what you see when, when you look at your people? And then act on it. That way, A little bit of his kingdom will come from up there, down here, through you, and flow to them. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, creator and sustainer of life, you have a magnificent vision for our lives, and you've called us into something bigger than ourselves. We are the salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. You have placed us on top of a hill to shine your goodness and love. But sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we assume we know what's best for people and we impose our will, our ways, our deeds on them. And when they don't respond the way we think they should, we cast a critical eye. So we ask God, that you would help us with that. Would you help give us eyes to see what Jesus sees? Feet that go where Jesus would go. Hands that do what Jesus would do. And soft hearts to feel what Jesus feels. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.